Rejoice always. Pray continuously. It's impossible unless you are connected continuously to the source. Today with Catherine Ruinala. I've been thinking about prayer this week. I, I have Thursdays I try to take as my day off um, because I normally work through the weekends doing conferences and meetings. And, and so I try very hard to give myself a day where I just rest. And we went up, we took a drive up this week, didn't we, on Thursday? We drove up to Noosa and just pitched a little tent on the beach and read a book and Emily went for a big long walk and I had a talk to the Lord and it's just good for the soul, hallelujah. And as I was just talking to the Lord, I was thinking about these people you read about that have these extraordinary prayer lives and they, you know, they wrestle with God in prayer and they agonize in prayer and you get this idea that they pray for like seven, eight hours straight and I, I mean, I've, I've done that sort of thing. I've tried to pray for lengthy, lengthy periods, but I get a sore throat and I lose my voice if I try and talk for that long. Anybody else actually <laughs> know what I'm talking about? I, like, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to really have a really big prayer session and I'll pray. And then I, and then I can't preach because I've got no voice left because I've been using my voice all the time. So I think this can't be what God is wanting. This can't be what he's looking for. Now, Jesus addressed this, actually, when he gave the picture of two men or saw two men at the temple praying. One was a Pharisee, and he was there puffed up and praying his big, clever, fancy, long prayers. And another was a tax collector who was there going, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, you know who went away justified today? You know who got through to God? You know who pleased me? It wasn't the Pharisee up there with his great big long prayers, fancy words and length. It was the honest prayer of a contrite sinner that said, have mercy on me, God. And you know, I think... When we understand that God is not looking for our sacrifice, he's looking for our loyalty, he's looking for our companionship, he's looking for our heart. As it tells us in Hosea 6.6, I desire loyalty, not sacrifice. When we understand that God's heart is for us to actually demonstrate kindness toward him in giving him what he is longing for, and that is your companionship then we will understand the heart of prayer. I've been talking about Isaiah 22, 22, 22, the key of David. And I tell you, I don't think I'm going to get out of this anytime soon because it is saturating everything I read and think about. It's this glorious understanding and in the very heart of the whole message of the kingdom that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life, that they should have a life and life more abundant. That is a life dynamically joined as one with the Lord, where we would be restored to the original purpose that was to walk and talk and live in fellowship with our creator. So when I look at prayer, 
I look at it, and as I looked at the definition, and biblically looking at all the different definitions of prayer, basically prayer is communicating with God. It's having conversation with God. Pouring out your heart to God, yes. Like it says in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, which are requests, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He does want to know about everything. He wants to talk to you about everything. He wants you to lay out all your worries and your concerns to him. And you can do that continually through the day. You can come before him and lay out, bring him your wounds, bring him your pain, bring him your fears. And as you give him ashes, he gives you beauty. As you give him fear, he gives you courage. As you give him pain and need, he gives you love and healing. Hallelujah. And so there's something powerful in prayer as we bring to the divine exchange table our mess, our, our pain, our sorrow, our distress, our shame, our guilt, all of our stuff, our sin, everything. We bring it all to the table in prayer. And as we do that intentionally, in faith, God wants to help us engage in that glorious divine exchange. So there's pouring out our heart before God. There's prayers and supplications. There's requests. Make your requests known to God. I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Pretty much that's about the first thing I pray when I wake up is I pray the Lord's Prayer. It's, um, it's so beautifully complete. And, and so I, I do. And it's not because it's out of a religious obligation. It's just a beautiful thing that Jesus gave us to teach us how to pray. And as we take time to talk to the Lord, God's looking for us to, to recognize that prayer doesn't have to be this big, long, huge effort or session. It's us getting honest before God and talking to Him, worshiping Him, listening to Him, receiving from Him, engaging in conversation, worshiping Him, thanking Him, and then the Bible tells us, pray without ceasing. What an unusual scripture, pray without ceasing. Like, man, if you struggle to have a three-hour prayer session, how are we going to pray without ceasing? Oh, God, and I have to be engaged when I'm listening to people and talking to them. I can't be listening to them at the same time as praying. Like, how, do they, how does this technically work is, a, is, is my question. But as, as I look at it and I examine the essence and the heart of God's encouragement here, we'll look at it firstly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. That's the best place to start. Rejoice always. You're very quiet. Say, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Yay. Pray without ceasing. Well, okay, there's a short little verse. Two very short verses. Verse 16. You want to memorize a verse. Here it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. I've just memorized a whole verse of the Bible. Here's another verse you can memorize. Pray without ceasing. That's another whole verse of the Bible. Pray without ceasing simply means, hey, let's be in relationship. Let's be, let me be your closest relationship. Let me be the one 
that is with you all the time, that never gets tired of you, that doesn't need a break from you. This one, I mean, praise the Lord. I have beautiful relationships in my life, but I am married to an introvert. I have some children who are introverts and, and, and even my, my children that aren't introverts. I mean, I, I think it would be a, a struggle to be like 24 seven continually in each other's face. I need space. I need to be alone. But you know what? God doesn't need space from you. God's happy to be with you all the time. And he is the only one that can handle you all the time. (laughs) He is the one that understands you completely and wants to be your constant companion. He's there in the middle of the night when you wake up and you don't want to wake anybody else up. He's like, I'm already here. Here I am. This is my beloved. I love you. He's there. When you wake up in the morning, he's there. He's always happy. He never has a bad day. He never goes up and down. He changes not. As you go to work, he's there. And he wants to teach us what it looks like to be able to engage in a fellowship with him that is not just an obligatory, yes, I know God is always with me, but an actual delight where we learn how to have conversation with God so that our lives become ones that we rejoice always and we pray without ceasing because we have found the key of David. And I believe this key that we talk about from Isaiah 22, 22, this key that opens doors no man can shut, closes doors no man can open. This key is a key that we see in all the major people that we read about in the Bible. You can look and see this same key. And there's so much to it. It really is referring to the connection that David had with God that Jesus demonstrated to us. He had such a magnificent relationship as a man walking on the earth with the Father that the disciples said, teach us how to pray. Your your level of communication is beyond anything we've ever seen before. And he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. That is the same connection you see me having with the Father. When you pray, you pray in faith that you also are invited into that very same relationship, the key of David, our father, the same father that David was talking with, the same father that we can see uh, the the Lord modeling to us throughout the Psalms, throughout the, the scripture. I want to share with you I've been sharing, um, I was sharing last week from Psalm 27, and I want to just look a little deeper into this beautiful psalm tonight. Psalm 27 is one of my favorites, and it's just beautiful. Um, But as I look at this beautiful psalm, and I look at the context in which it was written, it's very interesting. Nobody can actually pin it down and say specifically it was written at this time, but they, they... suggests that it was probably written around the time of about 1 Samuel 22, 23, when David had been betrayed 
uh, after being in the city of Nob at the city of the priests, and Doeg the Edomite had gone back to Saul and said, well, actually, David's just been in Nob, and the priests gave him a sword, and they gave him bread. And then Saul went, right, we'll bring them here. And he said, put them all to death. And none of, none of the men wanted to kill a priest or, a, a, you know, all a city of priests. So Doeg the Edomite says, I'll do it. And he goes and puts them all to death and then goes into the city and puts all the women and children and babies, the whole city to death. And one man escapes and comes to David. And David says, it's my fault that they're all dead. No, really, of course, it was Saul, Saul's fault. But he's wearing this. He's being pursued by an army that saw him defeat Goliath, that went with him to have victory over their enemies over and over again. Saul has killed his thousands. David's killed his tens of thousands. This was the army that went with him, that saw these incredible victories. This same army has been told lies about David, told that he's turned on the king and that he's a, he's a um, traitor and he needs to, to be killed. These same ones... And yet David, he sings this psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? It's such a beautiful psalm. And I, 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 it's difficult for me to skip through it because it's so beautiful. Verse 4, one thing I've desired, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on his beauty. This is the key, the one thing, the thing that he needed more than anything else at this moment. Rather than needing the people to believe the best of him, rather than needing God to fulfill his purpose, David knew I need one thing. This is what I need. This is what my spirit is longing for and craving. One thing. Ah. <sighs> to see your face because I know when I see your eyes, your eyes look at me and love me. <sighs> to gaze on your beauty because that's the place of strength. That's the place of courage. That's the place of hope. That's the place where I know, oh God, nothing else matters. This is my divine purpose, to love you and to be loved by you. And in that place, as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are added. When everything's going wrong and all the bad, sad things are happening, if you learn this is what I need more than anything else, one thing I've desired. Like it says in verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Uh, why? Because I know that is the place of my escape. That's the place of escape from stress, from anxiety, from worry, from fear. That's the, that's the way out of the, of the noise and the drama. <laughs> it's the secret place. And this is the key of David that then opens doors no man can shut. It's the glorious place. But I want to pick it up here in verse... 12. He says, do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired 
had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David was speaking out of experience. He knew and discovered increasingly that when I'm in a really difficult place, if I go to the secret place, I can take courage. That God himself comes and he puts courage on the inside of me. Encourage. Put courage in. He encourages me. He loves me. His consolations delight my soul. Encourage. Put courage in. Wait on the Lord, I say. Take courage. Let your heart take courage as you wait on the Lord. Let your heart, that is, in faith, engage in the reality that as I come to you, you are giving me supernatural strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. As I wait on the Lord, that is, not doing your epic three or four hour prayer, you know, thinking you're going to try and achieve something, but as you come before him in honesty, saying, God, this is the place I long to be more than anything else, gazing on your beauty. Lord, I come to take strength from the eyes of your face, Lord, that look at me and love me. I come to look at you, to gaze on your beauty, because that's the place where I find my strength, my hope, my joy. That's the place where I take courage. I grab a hold of it and I, I put it in my heart because I'm seeing it in your face. Your shining eyes strengthen me. Hallelujah. He knew. He, it was a, you know, after this, the son of Ahimelech, the one person who escaped from the city that was put to the sword by this traitor, came to David and told him. David said, oh, man, it's awful. This is awful. It's my fault. Come with me. I'll take care of you. And the very next place they go to, they discover this, this city that is being besieged, Keilah, and by the Philistines. And David's heart is, we should help them. And David's men go, look, we're a bit afraid. We've, we've, we've been through a lot. So David goes to the Lord, should I help them? David, the Lord says, yes, go and help them. I'll be with you. So he tells the people, Tells his men, God's with us. He's told us to do it. They're right. Okay. He put courage in them. Okay. And they go and they deliver the town from the Philistines. Yay. Everyone say, yay. Yay. Delivered from the Philistines. Hooray. Just making sure you're awake. And then he goes back into the stronghold up in the hills. And along comes Saul to the village, to the city. And David's up there in the hills seeing that Saul's gone into the city with his men. And he says to the Lord, will they betray me? Will they, you know, we've just delivered them from the Philistines and everything. Would they betray me? The Lord says, yeah, they'll, they'll betray you. <laughs> I was like, ah! So he has to run, on the run again. And it's in this very context that he's writing Psalm 27. 
I would have lost hope had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 146 verse 3 says this, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there's no help. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You see, David understood, my strength comes from the Lord. Waiting upon him is where I draw my courage. It set him in good stead for later on when he was in Ziklag and things had gone from bad to worse. And then he got back and then all the wives and children had been abducted. The city had been burned. And the very men that had been with him through thick and thin started talking about stoning him. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. He waited upon the Lord and the Lord put courage in. He took it. I know where to get courage. It's in your shining eyes. Because every time he looks at you, he loves you. Like he looked at the rich young ruler. He looked at him and loved him. The power of his eyes, the power of his gaze when he looks at you. That's why he says, I'm your glory and the lifter of your head, because if you could just see. That's why he ca- Paul prays that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, enlightening the eyes of our understanding so we could see that when we look at him, he's loving us with love that's so intense and so powerful that it puts courage on the inside of you, that it is so intense that it cannot be over, it cannot be contained, but it overflows. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. It's impossible unless you are connected continuously to the source. I look to the hills, where does my help come from? Ha, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My hope is in him. Love people, but trust God. Jesus knew this. They were like, Hosanna, Hosanna, yay, Jesus. Next minute, kill him, crucify him. People are fickle. Love people, but trust God. And when you trust him, when you've got that, you've got everything. You're able then to love people. You're able to to be able to walk with people. You are able to trust, but you don't trust in them to make your purpose come about. God himself who purposed it will also do it. Hallelujah. Back to this, uh, back to First Thessalonians, verse twenty-four. Faithful is He who calls you, and He also will bring it to pass. Rejoice in the Lord, pray continuously, trust in the One who is faithful, and who will also bring it to pass. I was reading about um, Joseph this week too. 
And Joseph also, like Jesus and like David, they all came into their ministry at 30. They all had these incredible promises and yet were so tested, were so pursued before they saw the fulfillment of the promises. Joseph was sold as a slave by those who should have celebrated him, who should have mentored him, who should have encouraged him. Instead, he had nothing and no one, nothing and no one, thrown into a pit and then sold as a slave in a foreign country. There's no one there going, hey, you've got a great promise. You're going to do great. Hang in there. No. And then, just when he thought, okay, I feel like I'm making some headway here, getting some favor with Potiphar, he gets falsely accused and thrown into prison. Then in prison, he's interpreting dreams. He thinks, oh, I've got a shot here. The cupbearer will go and tell my story to the king. And he forgets about him. And it says here in Psalm 105, verse 18, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. He had this promise, but you know, when you have a promise, you have an opportunity to know who the promise maker is. That the promise doesn't come about because of what you do or what other people do or don't do. The promise comes about as you wait on the Lord and the one who can open doors no man can shut. As you wait on the Lord, where the one who closes doors no man can open. As you wait on the Lord, you are encouraged, you are strengthened, joy comes into your heart, hope, faith, and everything you need is available there. And it doesn't matter if you're clapped in irons, they can't take it away from you. Hallelujah. And what the enemy means for evil, God will turn around for your good. For your former shame, pain and disgrace, God will give you double recompense if you don't lose hope. I would have lost hope had I not believed. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hallelujah. It all comes from the one thing. Oh, gazing on his face. Amen. Let your heart take courage, for there's courage for the taking. I want to close today's program by leaving you with this thought. Praying for a loved one to be saved and not seeing results can be disheartening, especially if it's been a long time. But here are three things that have helped me. One, don't give up. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, just as Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. Number two, believe that God loves this person even more than you do. He died for them. Number three, trust God. He is more than able to bring your loved one back to himself. He's always working behind the scenes and wooing them back to himself. Your prayers matter. I've seen family members come to God after praying for decades. Don't give up hope. God is able and your prayers are making a difference. 
I want to invite you to come and be a monthly partner with us. We have so much fun. Every month we meet with our partners online, live, and we do a beautiful mentoring Zoom where we have discussion and questions. It's really special and we prophesy and pray together. I'd love to be able to join with you in our monthly partners mentoring sessions. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can go to our website and sign up today as a monthly partner and help us take the message of the good news of the gospel all over the world. Thank you.